All right, let's turn in our Bibles. Uh, if you're visiting, we really do study the Bible here and do serious stuff. Um, let's turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. And uh, we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and here we are. I think this is our 62nd um, visit to the Gospel of John. So John chapter 10, starting in verse 11, Jesus is continuing to speak, and he says... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that they will listen to my voice, excuse me, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we sing a song at this church called Jesus Thank You, and and I, I... do love that song. I love it because it's a prayer. We have a lot of sung prayers, you may have noticed, uh, at this church. We, we, we sing a lot of prayers to God. But it's an opportunity for the congregation at large to gather and say with one voice, Jesus, thank you. But that song starts out in, a, in, in quite a way. Um, it, it says, the mystery of the cross, I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. You know, those are sacred things. Those are not lyrics to be made light of. Those are sacred things. I mean, a hush falls over the heart when you consider the agonies of Calvary, that God took pleasure to crush his son, that Christ voluntarily, obediently drank the bitter cup, the dregs of our sin, all the shame you've ever felt, all the embarrassment you've ever felt over sin, all the guilt you've ever felt heaped on your shoulders. Christ drank that guilt. He took that penalty as payment for sin. Now, those things said, and there's a a wealth of theology in those song lines, but, but in trembling sacredness, as we consider the agonies of Calvary and God crushing his son and all that, are we singing of tragedy or are we singing of victory? We are singing of victory. And the songwriter knows it too. Because uh, the chorus goes, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. We're, we're singing of a victorious thing that took place, not a tragic thing. Now, you may have heard me. I'm straying a little bit. But um, I have referred to the cross as profane before. It is profane 
In fact, that's, a, that's kind of a seminary term. It's a profane scene. In fact, there's a song that's got that in there, a, 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 the, the profane scene. It is profane. It is, it is barbaric. It is terrible. Um, it, it is hard to consider and, and, and look at, but it is not a tragedy. It is a victory. Uh, thus, our main idea here, what happened on the cross was victory, not tragedy. Why do I say that so confidently? Because Jesus in verse 14 says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down. And uh, we just read in chapter, verses 17 and 18, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is accomplishing something. He's not just a victim of something. Again, what happened on the cross was a victory, not a tragedy. So let's go to our first point. That is what I would love for you to walk away with today. Let's go to our first point. We'll see that expressed in in, uh, a few ways here. Uh, the good shepherd uh, lays down his life. Uh, that's, the, that's our first point. And it's not hard to see uh, where I got that, is it? Uh, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay? That's Jesus saying that. Uh, easy to get that sermon point. Now, we'll view that in context, of course. But look, first, let's talk about sheep. Um, Note that uh, our sermon point stops at the word life. The good shepherd lays down his life. But Jesus actually says more. He says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You'll see why I stopped it there when you see the next point. But um, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That means it was not merely a good example of selflessness. It was not um, uh, a sad thing that happened a long time ago, merely. It's not just an unfortunate series of events that propelled Jesus toward this this horrible end. And uh, sad as it was, uh, what a a sweet example that was of selflessness. Uh, It's not merely that. It is, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was born with the specific mission to die. He came to this earth to accomplish a thing, and that thing was to lay his life down uh, for uh, the sins of many. Um, And, you know, so Jesus is not dying simply for um, empty reasons or illustrative reasons. He's he's accomplishing specific and uh, foredetermined things that the Father gave him. We'll say that more about that more in the next point. But um, let's start by defining this shepherd this hero figure. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Have you noticed that throughout the Bible, sheep or the discussion of sheep or the comparison to sheep or the use of shepherds is uh, quite common at key redemptive points. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but sheep tend to show up at key redemptive things. For instance, um, Abel, who offered his uh, offering to God in uh, Genesis 4. What did he do? He was a herder of the sheep. I mean, he was a, he was a keeper of animals, a keeper of sheep. Uh, how about Jacob? Jacob was a shepherd. How about Joseph, Jacob's son? He was a shepherd. How about Moses? He was a shepherd. How about David? He was a shepherd. Uh, how about the Messiah, the promised Messiah? He would be a shepherd. This is in Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That is the messianic shepherd. And so it would be not lost upon a Jew, especially uh, a jealous uh, religious leader. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, that is a loaded thing to say. 
Um, a, a Jewish person, especially a religious leader, would go, oh, a shepherd. Wow, you're making quite a, a comparison there. And he's saying things about being a shepherd. He's saying, I'm a good shepherd. Um, notice that, uh, that that's very much different than saying, I am the shepherd or I am a shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. That, there's, there's, that's weighted with, with accusation. <laughs> it's weighted with separation. He's saying that I am the good shepherd and that means that not everybody's a good shepherd. He, he's he's uh, making a contrast or continuing to make a contrast between himself and the religious establishment. He's saying that there is one party who is good and one heart party who's bad, who's not good. Um, look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That's an indictment against bad shepherding. Um, how about verse 8? All who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's talking about the religious leadership and their direction, their handling of, uh, of Yahweh's word, their, their shepherding of the, of the people. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, the indictment is against those who have great religious uh, popularity and power and uh, spectacle. And here's what he says about their care for the sheep. In verse 12, he says this about them, those who are not the good shepherd. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. Now you've heard me talk about good, versus, good nurses versus bad nurses and good flight attendants versus bad flight attendants. But how about just the simplest thing as going to a restaurant? You go to a restaurant and uh, the person comes up and says, Hi, I'm Ken. I'll be taking care of you today. And in that moment, you're sizing them up going, Okay, Ken. <laughs> you know? You might be, or this might be a miserable experience because you don't really care about me or if it's somebody spits at my food or if they drop the steak on the floor or if I get my water refilled. Uh, ah, you're going to be in my able hands today. Okay, Ken, I think I'm worried about you. I, I'm not really sure that you love me. But if you go to restaurant Iris and they come and they say, hi there, what would you like to know about the menu? I tasted it earlier today. I mean, you, you, you know when you're in the hands of a really good waiter. Contrast all that. Contrast a bad waiter with this. I saw this online, um, I don't know, a couple months ago. You know, you're not supposed to get between a, a, a mama bear and her cub, and uh, bears are scary, and bears can eat you and slice you to smithereens and all that stuff. Well, I don't know where this was, Colorado or somewhere, but a bear is climbing up on the porch of this house, and the screen door is open, and it's a mom and her baby. Well, that mom scared the bear away and I, I don't know who was more I don't know who's scarier a, a, a mom a human mom or a bear mom but, uh, <laughs> but I'm telling you that human mom she was scary unafraid unafraid of a bear the bear's like all right all right gosh lay, lay off me but that's because she loves the her little flock. <laughs> She's not a hireling. I mean, a hireling goes, oh, I don't want to get killed either. But the mom goes, I don't care what happens to me. 
That, that thing's not getting through me. And that's the difference. Um, and so it, it, it's the same thing with a good shepherd. He actually loves the sheep. But the hireling, when a hireling is faced with a snarling wolf, the wolf is like, uh, I could eat you or a sheep, which is going to be, I, I can't even tell. Uh, the hireling runs because he doesn't own the sheep. Verse 12. Anybody out there own a business? Don't you love it when you own a business and then you watch somebody not carry out your will and you go, they don't own it. There's a big difference when somebody takes ownership. Hey, young people, you want to do good at your job? Take ownership. Act like you're the owner of the whole place. Act like the owner. Then you'll do good at your job. But if you don't act like the owner, you're a hireling. You don't really care. All right, last thing before we apply all this. If we're going to understand what Jesus says about himself being the good shepherd, we need to define good. What does he mean when he says, I'm the good shepherd? Does he mean I'm good at it? Or does he mean that I'm morally excellent? Because there's two Greek words for good. One of them means that, morally excellent, morally superior, you know, righteous, and so on. And then the other uh, Greek word for good uh, has to do with... um, winsomeness, beauty, uh, being lovely. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, guess what word he's using? The latter. He's saying, I'm the lovely shepherd. I'm the shepherd you want to get near. I'm the winsome shepherd, the beautiful shepherd. Uh, Basically, to, to give a quick application, he's saying, you know everything your soul's craving for? You know everything your soul's craving I can satisfy that because I'm the winsome shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. What you need being in my fold, what you need being in my care, what you need belonging to me, what you need being safe in my um, accompaniment, I'm him. I'm the good shepherd. I'm not like a hired hand. I'm, I'm the shepherd your soul has been yearning for. All right, application for our lives. Jesus deliberately describes himself as a caretaker of a flock. In fact, he never sees himself outside of that rubric. Do you know that? That's how he sees himself. Um, He's always carrying out the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is precisely to make for himself one worshiping people. Um. In fact, he even says that. We'll talk about this more in our last point. But he says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. Oh, there are other folds. There are other folds, other, other, um, other believers in other places. But there's only one flock. There's not a bunch of different flocks. There's one flock. There's one shepherd. Different folds. You can be Methodist, you can be uh, Presbyterian, you can be Southern Baptist, you can be Plymouth Brethren, whatever you happen to be if you believe in this Christ. Other folds, yes, but one flock. One invisible church that God knows of. All right, to apply this then. You know, Tammy and I are, you know, we love this place, and I've told you this before that uh, I, I know people at other churches who have told me that if they didn't work at that church, they wouldn't go to that church, which I think is, is horribly sad, and that, that maybe they should move on. If I didn't work at this church, I would certainly go to this church. 
Uh, I love this church. All my closest relationships are at this church. Tammy and I love it here. Um, we, we love Grace of Anne. We love you all. Um, and we talk about this church a lot. And we talk about people floating in and out. And we talk about people um, who, who follow their kids around from place to place to place to place to place. And, you know, when we were growing up, it was very simple. Our family, you know, dad, dads, I'm talking to you. Um, our dad was going to be in the car and that car was going to leave and that dad was going to take leadership and the kids were going to be in that car and we weren't going to fight on the way and we weren't going to gripe about it and say, I don't know anybody in the youth group, but they don't go to my school and blah, 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 blah. You know, I have a friend I met in fifth grade who is still so close to me. His name is Brian. We never, ever went to the same school ever. In fact, he moved away for two years, moved back again. We've been friends for 50 years. I mean, it's amazing. Um, but we, weren't, we were never in the same school, but we were the, the closest of friends. We still are close friends. And I'm just telling you, men, if you want to lead your families, get your butt in the car seat, start the car at 917, and honk the horn. And when your kids go, I don't want to get in the car. I don't want to sign up for the trip. Sign up for the trip. I don't know anybody. You're going on that trip. But no, you're going on that trip. I'm telling you, the, the people who, in any church anywhere, the people who float in on a Sunday uh, and then disappear during the closing prayer and never talk to anybody and then gripe about not being fed and not connecting and how nobody's friendly, they're insane. Um, would we throw the doors open? Come on in. If you got an opportunity to hang out with some dudes at a breakfast, then come on and hang out. If there's an opportunity for ladies to come and do a thing, then hang out. It's not some magic formula. It is the people of God collected. It is that we are a flock. It is that Christ is the head of the church. He's the shepherd. Uh, church wasn't invented. You know, people, I don't I'm tired of organized religion, blah, blah, blah. Come on. You can do better than a cliche. If you have a real complaint, then make the complaint. But don't say, I don't like organized religion. That's the oldest blech complaint in the whole book. Um, I'm telling you, Christ is the head of the church. God instituted the church. It's a means of grace, the church. Gathering like this in one voice, gathering like this under the authority of this book. You're not here to hear me. You're here to be under the authority of this book. Christ is the instigator of that, (laughs) the institutor of that. Uh, One flock, one shepherd. All right. Uh, The good shepherd knows his own. Now, it's not hard to see where I got that sermon point. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, (laughs) and my own know me. You see how that complements verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Notice that he is the good shepherd. He's not a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And there's that pesky exclusivity Jesus is always banking on. He banks all of redemption on that. He never says, oh, there are many wonderful ways to get to, the, to, to heaven. Uh, many wonderful paths up many wonderful mountains. He never says that. If you're going to believe this Jesus at all, you got to believe what he says about himself, which is, I'm the only way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Got that? No one comes to the Father but by me. That's Jesus' exclusive claim. It's it's here too. I am the good shepherd. He alone is the good shepherd, shepherd, and it's punctuated uh, thusly. Uh, Verse 5, 
a stranger they will not follow. Verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. And again, in verses 1, 8, and 10, uh, thieves and robbers. That's a contrast against um, the one who owns the sheep, says Jesus. There's another contrast between hirelings in 12 and 15, hirelings, and a savior in verse 15, who will lay down his life for the sheep. You see how particular his atonement is. You see how personal his love is. Um, we have people in my grace group here. Templetons are here, and who else is in here? Ah, the Lockharts, and anybody else? Ah, my wife. Um, we, what we've been doing the last two or three years, and it's been really, really cool, is uh, I'll just flip through. And I mean, it, I, it's not like I just, it's not like I just go brrr, pick it. I have to flip through it, and I just kind of see what God lays on my heart, and I pick a passage. And I ask them to pray about the passage and read the passage and make some notes about the passage and to meditate on the passage. And then we come together, we talk about it. Very simple recipe. And uh, it's profound every time. Um, It's full of surprises for me. It's full of surprises for everybody. But one of the things I assigned, I don't know, about, I don't know, a year ago or so uh, was John 17. John 17 in this very gospel is the high priestly prayer where Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. And he prays to the Father. And I'm telling you, it blew the minds of our grace group. Mostly because I don't think they ever read uh, John 17 like that before. Where you just labor over it and ponder over it. But I mean, listen to this. Jesus saying, uh, he says in John 17, I've given them the words you gave me. They uh, received them. They've come to know the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And here's what Jesus says. I am praying for them the ones who believe in him. He says, I am praying for them. Then he says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those whom you have given me. Now, if you've been with us in the study, and John, he, Jesus says it over and over and over again. I'm here to do the work of the Father. I'm here to do the will of the Father. I'm here to say the words of the Father. And I'm here to die on the cross for the people who God has given me. Is everybody going to be in heaven? No. You look at the world around you. Does everybody believe in the Savior? I'm saying to you that that is a profound and sacred thing that Jesus went to the cross with specificity. You know, I, I, I've, I've done this to a room full of people. You know, if you want people to agree with you, you just nod your head when you say something. Now, I've, I've done this a million times. I'll say, does anybody uh, believe that Jesus died on the cross with names on his mind? And the, whole, the room goes, that sounds pretty good. I like that, and he's nodding. Well, you think about that, man. That's a specific work. I'm not praying for them. I'm praying for the ones that the Father has given me. They're his. He gave them to me. Now they're mine. I got a flock. Not all human beings are in that flock, but the ones who believe in me are. What a thing. Hey, this is a great quote. Um, This is a 
what is he? This is an Australian, uh, yeah, this is an Australian old Bible commentator. He's still alive. He's Gordon Ketty. He's great. But he quotes a, um, a Puritan named Thomas Manton. And uh, here's what Thomas Manton says. He says, Christ hath a particular and exact knowledge of all the elect, their individual persons, who they are, where they are, or what they are, that they shall be saved. He takes special notice of them that he may suitably apply himself to them. Is that not awesome? How personal is this salvation? He goes on to say, Thomas Manton says, when someone comes to Christ with repentance toward God and faith in him as Savior, that exhaustive, loving knowledge Jesus has for his own finds its echo in the response of the believing heart. Is that something? God hunts you down and like a sympathy string, our heart echoes uh, with uh, that reality when, when we believe. Now, I'll close with, with this on this point. Um, in that same high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so that's an application. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to um, be okay in this life, be guided in this life? How, how is that supposed to happen? Are we supposed to uh, just kind of elbow our way through and tough it out? Yeah, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, my personal Savior, um, and I'm redeemed, and now I'm plopped here between here and heaven. I'm still sinning, um, and so I'm just going to elbow my way through and kind of tough it out until finally I plop down dead and go to be with him in glory. Is that it? Or are we supposed to follow hunches? Well, I got a hunch about this and I got a hunch about this and I got a feeling about that. Boy, those can be deceptive. Um, You know, somebody, this is an illustration I put in here. Somebody dropped a book by the office and I hope you're not in this classroom, but it's somebody apparently that knew Dr. Young and is smart, Graduated from Gordon-Conwell Seminary, which is pretty, okay. Uh, it's not RTS or, you know, Westminster or whatever, but it's, it's okay. It's good. It's good. They're smart. They're really smart. Smart people. Smarter than me. Um, but he wrote this book, and he asked Dr. Young to uh, look at it and possibly endorse it. And uh, it's sitting on the front uh, office desk, and I mean, I mean, it's this thick. It's huge. A huge book. And uh, so I plop it open. I'm like, oh, Gordon Conwell. Oh, wow. Oh, Dr. Young knows this guy. Interesting. And so I, I read the first two sentences and I closed it up. And Gene Elliott was sitting right there. I closed it up. I said, I would never endorse that book. Never. By the second sentence of the introduction, it said something like this. Um, yeah. It said something like, um, finally, the Holy Spirit showed me the key that would unlock the new method of understanding scripture. I'm like, I ain't going to read that book. And I would never endorse that book. Never recommend it to anybody. Really? Um, 
Finally, the Holy Spirit showed me the key that would unlock the new method of understanding Scripture. Oh, we've been waiting around for 2,000 years, 6,000 years, 8,000 years. Finally, you came along, and you've got a key to unlocking a new method. God is enough. His word itself is enough because God is himself enough. We don't need a new method. We don't need some new charismatic leader. We don't need to, uh, somebody to go, <coughs> hey, dummies, a path was here all the time. Just follow me. Oh, yeah, many, many people have lived billions before me, but I got the answer. Ridiculous and dangerous. I'm saying <coughs> when Jesus says sanctify them by the truth, <coughs> your word is truth. He also says that they might be sanctified in truth. What he's specifically saying is the same thing he's saying in our passage here. I know my own, and my own know me, Jesus. They will listen to my voice. How do we listen to his voice? By the Holy Spirit's application of his word. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is the last prophet He is the sender of the Holy Spirit along with the Father. Jesus and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to take the truths of God and apply them to our souls. In other words, we meet the real, authentic, satisfying, living God in the pages of the Bible. All right, let's move on. Close up. Last point, the good shepherd says deliberately, in verse 14 of our passage, Jesus says, I'm a good shepherd. Um, <clears throat> I know my own. My own know me. From its kernel form, K-E-R-N-A-L, uh, N-A-L, yeah, form in Genesis 3, um, in, in the curse, <coughs> God says, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. From that kernel form of the gospel, mysterious, some little word of hope in the middle of a curse, from that kernel form to a more specific form in Genesis 12, in you all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. Here's Jesus' own words today in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. That was God's plan all along. It was never that Gentiles were some second-class part of it. It was that the Jews were, I mean, Gentiles are grafted in, but, but it was always a plan that the peoples of the earth would be blessed. We're not just folded into the Jewish cookie dough, uh, and we're kind of these little morsels in the middle of it all. Um, we have had our rightful place all along, and so everyone who ever will believe part of that flock uh, it's not that um, somebody's sins are worse than anybody else's sins. It is that Jesus' blood covers sin so that you have a place in his singular flock. All right, last thing that we got to close. Um, I have loved this psalm for a long, long time. This is just the first three verses, well, the first two verses of, of a three-verse psalm, a three-verse psalm, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And notice the highly stylized form. I mean, it's just classic Hebrew poetry where line amplifies line, amplifies line. 
Um, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. This abundant, fragrant, anointing oil running down, running down on the beard. Oh, by the way, it's the beard of Aaron. Oh, by the way, it's on its priestly garments. That's what brothers dwelling in unity is like. Um, It's not just, uh, uh, this is just not just uh, uh, an entreating uh, for us to just get along. It is that we're in one flock. It is that we are members of the, the same flock of the good shepherd together. Uh, unity is our hallmark. Um, our, our, our parking lot, ladies and gentlemen, should always be baffling to the community. I think about it all the time. I go out there and I'm, I'm like, it'll be jam-packed full on Tuesday afternoon at 2.30. And I think the neighborhood's got to be driving by, by going, what in the world? Those people are weird. I mean, it's almost like that place is like the hub of their existence. It's supposed to be, y'all. The church is supposed to be the hub of our existence. The, 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 our neighbors around us should puzzle over our lives. Hey, in our passage, <clears throat> you know why Jesus did all this stuff? You, you know why he um, laid down his life that he may take it up again? You know why he did that? You. The better answer is us. The good shepherd died for the flock that the father gave him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you, uh, coming only in your name. You are the one way, the one redeemer, the one savior um, who, who can make us right with God. We don't get to, to pick some method. Rather, uh, you are the way and the truth and the life. And I pray for every soul in this room, Lord. I pray that you would draw each of your sheep unto yourself. I pray that you would gather the lambs in your arms as has been promised of old and that we would know that we are saved. Um, These things have been written so that we might know we have eternal life. Might you show it to our souls for your glory and in Christ's name. Amen.